Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where new year, new you, new Lakers starting lineup for the fourth time in four games that somehow still isn't the same starting lineup the team utilized last year that actually showed any semblance of success. As Shakira says, hips don't lie, but coach hip do lie. Hip as in hands in pockets. I don't know what any of that means, but surprise, the Lakers are bad. Happy New Year. Uh, I am your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I am joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. Tommy, Happy New Year. Happy Kobe 2024 year. How is 2024 looking for you so far? Is your personal slash family life doing a lot better than the Lakers currently? Yes. Um, I'm very excited for 2024, notwithstanding the Lakers looking like complete dog doo-doo. Um, but I, uh, you know, 2023 just like kind of happened. It was a blur in my mind. We obviously, you know, it's been mentioned, me and my wife had a baby last year and, and the year just happened. Um, (laughs) you know, around this time last year, I, I don't think we were sleeping more than probably four hours a day and like two two hour naps or something so it, it's it's a it's a significant improvement from that time for me that's awesome yeah 2024 seems to be looking up for you same for me the the end of 2023 was a blur i welcomed in my my niece elise in november uh congratulations to my brother and his wife got engaged in december at the korean hey. friendship bell a hey, in, in san pedro she said yes thank god um and we just moved back to Pasadena, actually, which is a pretty big move after living in the city for the last couple of years. And then we're planning to go to Hawaii at the end of the, at the end of this month. So it's kind of been a whirlwind tour from November all the way till now. And so I'm happy that I've personally been busy and things are looking up in that respect, because when it comes to the Lakers, it has been a complete dumpster fire that I have tried to compartmentalize out of my personal life as much as I can so as not to affect my mental health. And you said the Lakers have been dog doo-doo, and you are right. The Lakers got that dog doo-doo in them. Um, but yeah, the Lakers are bad. The vibes are immaculate. quit. Lakers are 17 and 18. They are 3 and 9 since winning the IST and have lost 8 out of their last 10 games. So in this episode, we shall be doing a macro New Year State of the Lakers assessment and discuss everything that's gone wrong up until this point. We'll talk about how things have spiraled, try and pinpoint the root of these issues, touch upon Darvin Ham a bit, and then maybe try and give our suggestions on what the Lakers can do moving forward to right the ship. So we'll likely have a part two episode to this where we'll go deeper into Darvin Ham, but for now, this shall be more of our all-encompassing State of the Lakers spiral episode. Uh, But first, Tommy, really quickly... In general, this is a, a vibe check question. 
how are you feeling as a Lakers fan about this season? Because the last time that we officially recorded, we were coming off the IST Championship weekend. We had lost to the, the Mavericks, but had won that second night of a back-to-back against Wemby and the Spurs. And at that point, we were still feeling like the Lakers had finally found their identity with everybody getting healthy. Since then, though, since our December break, the wheels have just completely fallen off. And without talking about how or why the wheels have fallen off yet, just give me some adjectives to describe how you're feeling about this group and this season. Because for me, this is not how it was supposed to go. The two stars in LeBron James and AD have been relatively healthy. In fact, all of our top four players, D'Lo, AD, LeBron, and Austin Reeves, have all been relatively healthy, save for four or five games or so. And I know D'Lo's hurt right now, but it's only still been his fourth game missed. We won the IST championship, and we were supposed to take off from there, and then we didn't. And for me, it's just been such a disappointment of a season promises of continuity, promises of building upon something. It feels like the bubble has just inexplicably burst in that respect, and I can't help but feel like some of it has been self-inflicted. And what's worse about this season as opposed to last season when we started it off with Russell Westbrook is it still kind of doesn't make sense to me on the surface why things haven't worked out. Last year, we had Russell Westbrook and a piss-poor constructed roster to point to, This year, that problem doesn't exist because the roster still kind of made sense on paper, except everything has just felt disjointed. It feels like everyone all of a sudden is firing on separate cylinders. And I don't know, it's just just been disappointing as a fan to, on the one hand, legitimately enjoy and like the players on the team, like their personalities, their chemistry and vibe, but then on the court to not see any of those talents mesh this season for one reason or another when you know it's well within their grasp to do so. So for me, adjectives I'd use would be deflating, disheartening, and frustrating as a fan to watch. Lots of promises unfulfilled, a lots, lots of underachievement. And now we are getting things bubbling to the surface with regards to these reports of six players, six legitimate sources being unhappy with the way that Darvin Ham has commanded this locker room. And we'll get to that in a second. I just wanted to point this out. But it, but for you as a fan, give me some adjectives to describe how you're feeling and how, yeah, in just a month, things have spiraled. I think hopeless is, is like the, uh, the one that jumps out. I think like, we talked about this a little bit offline, maybe right before we, we kind of jumped on here. But I go into it like every game. You know when we hit that stretch like during the Russ era where... I mean, especially in, like, the 33-win season or whatever, but, like, you know, we we kind of went into every game expecting to lose, and occasionally we would win, and that's kind of how we're playing right now. Like, it doesn't feel, in any matchup, I'm talking about against the Pistons, against the Spurs, like, it doesn't feel like against, you know, in any matchup we have, like, a real game plan for what we want to do. It feels like we defend every team the same way, which is like somehow by giving up like wide open threes. I don't know how that's our defensive strategy, but like in the modern NBA, but that that seems to be how we defend everyone. We don't really have like an offensive plan except for like pound the ball into LeBron and AD and just let them like go one-on-one and take high degree of difficulty shots to generate all of our offense with, especially with the starters. 
And it just feels like a disjointed mess of guys sort of floating around. We're making the same mistakes now that we were making in the, in the preseason. Um, and it doesn't feel like there's a push in one direction. It, it is interesting, like, how quickly things have fallen. I mean, to your point, I think one of the last times you and I recorded was coming off of the in-season tournament win, where we had obviously performed extremely well in, in tournament games that teams were playing very, very competitively. And we had like, you know, even in non-tournament games had had racked up some some pretty good wins and, and were trending in the right way, both in defensive efficiency and offensive efficiency as we were starting to get healthy. And it just went from that to sort of feeling like we hit a wall. Um, again, process on both sides doesn't, of uh, both sides of the floor, process between management and coaching like a lot of it just doesn't really seem to make sense um and this team comes out every single night and they just don't look like they want to play basketball I mean guys like Vando um who you kind of expect to have that like same energy every single night and he has throughout his career and he did last year for us regardless of how anyone else is playing even he seems to have like his spirit broken a little bit and so I kind of feel like hopeless is the right word because I don't know that it's mm. like a trade that makes sense, you know, for this group. I don't know that it's like a coaching change even necessarily that makes sense. Although, you know, we say that like it feels like anyone should be better, but like, I don't know, you know, it's just like there's like some sort of chemistry issue that this team has that is like beyond me. And it's not even, as Austin Reeves has said, it's not chemistry with regards to guys not liking each other, right? It's just... A lot of confusion that hasn't been cleared up by those up top. And I feel like we ventured so far off the path that, to your point, it's truly fair to wonder whether the season is, isn't completely lost. I know that sounds dramatic, but we are at a very dramatic stage. We're 17 and 18, and we're only... I mean, at this point, we should be tracking box scores, right? To see whether we can make the play-in. Um and the players seem lost on the court. They seem lost in their roles. But most of all, to your point about hopelessness, they kind of seem lost in spirit and morale. And I'm not sure if the coach can regain or recapture any sort of good vibes that it seemed like the team had coming into media day when it seemed like everybody was aligned in the same vision. Everyone was aligned in what they were supposed to work on in the offseason. And Tommy, we actually saw a lot of those things come to fruition in the preseason and during certain points of the start of the season, right? And so you can see why it would be disheartening and dispiriting to some of these players to be like, wait, I worked on the things they asked me to work on. And yeah, has it been a little bit of a learning curve? Yeah, but all of a sudden we're switching things up again and everything that I worked on in the off season is proving fruitless, right? And so it kind of just feels like we haven't progressed at all. In fact, you said we haven't progressed from preseason. I feel like we've regressed from preseason. I feel like we started off preseason pretty well seeing how much talent we had on this roster, and none of it has come together. So, so yeah, this episode is going to be pretty pessimistic, raw, and it's going to be largely a negative one. It's going to be bitchy, moany, and very venty. So before we get into all those negatives, Tommy, let's quickly try and find the positives in this most recent stretch by the Lakers. I'll give one and then you give one before we turn to looking at the timeline of how we got here. Now, one positive and one silver lining that the Lakers can cling on to in this recent stretch that I've personally seen is Austin Reeves really finding his second wind. 
Outside of one horrific showing against the Minnesota Timberwolves right before the calendar turned 2024, where Austin Reeves looked like the absolute worst black hole tunnel ver- vision version of himself, Austin has really put things together offensively recently from a shooting, scoring, but also a playmaking standpoint. I feel like he's been more patient. He's been more intentional in trying to survey the floor for others instead of just chucking up the first mid-range jump shot that he sees or trying to foul bait. And while it's still heavily been reliant on and while it's still heavily reliant on him doing all of this off of his own dribble and needing the ball, he's at least diversified his pick and roll attack more to include that playmaking element that makes him a little less predictable. In the last two games, Austin Reeves has put up 17 assists and three turnovers. Versus New Orleans, he put up nine assists and zero turnovers, his first zero turnover game of the season. Granted, the Lakers got blasted in that game, but, you know, improvement is improvement. Um, In December, Austin Reeves has averaged 17 points, four rebounds, five assists on 49% from the field, 39.7% from three, and 91% from the line. And then the other night against Miami, he dropped 24, 5, and 8 on 7 of 12 shooting. Now, it's discouraging that the Lakers are like 1 and 9 in games that Austin Reeves has scored 20 points in this season. But you know what? At this point, we need to take progress wherever we can get it, even if that progress is coming in isolation of other things. So Austin Reeves is my one silver lining. Tommy, what is your silver lining and why is it Anthony Davis? (laughs) Anthony Davis has that's like the obvious one I'll say on on a team level the silver lining for me has been the improvement in three-point shooting you know kind of easy to forget at this point notwithstanding the fact that we came into like the season with all these high hopes on three-point shooting like we had a nearly historically bad you know start from three-point range um since that start we've slowly crept our our way up I think we're 20th or something. Look, not great, but we are moving our way up in in three-point percentage. Over the last 10 or 12 games, I'm pretty sure we're top 10, um, maybe even top five in percentage. Now, notwithstanding that, right, it's like even silver linings with this team come with, like, annoyances, but... They don't take enough threes. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Notwithstanding the fact that we were, you know, sixth in the NBA in three-point percentage for a fairly significant stretch, our bottom three... I, uh, you know, on the season, we're bottom three in attempts. And during that really hot stretch from three, we're still bottom 10 in attempts. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. like, you know, I understand an argument that three point shooting is not your strength. You shouldn't take too many. But the fact that like, even during our super, super hot stretch from three, we're taking that low volume. It's kind of telling, right? I mean, I, I was going through this the other day. Um, and, and um, you know, but the three point shooting volume is like kind of a, a silly thing. I mean, it's like people act like we don't have volume shooters and like we don't have a ton, but LeBron James shot eight threes a game two years ago and he's shooting less than he has in his entire tenure with the Lakers right now while shooting a career high. How is that possible? <laughs> I, like, let me say that again. The guy's been in the NBA for like 21 years. He is shooting a career high percentage from three point range and like significantly higher than his career averages. But he's shooting the lowest volume from three that he's shot since he joined the Lakers. D'Angelo Russell, I've mentioned, you know, has had eight, nine plus three point attempt seasons. Last year, he averaged seven. He's down like two full attempts per game. You know, Austin Reeves, Rui Hachimura, these guys have been like shooting okay. 
the only person who's up on their career average is this Torian Prince, who's like up across the board because we're playing him 80 minutes a game. So like, you know, it, it's just like, what are we doing? Anyway, I, that was supposed to be a silver yeah, lining that I, turned into, <laughs> that I turned into something <laughs> negative, but I, I can't help it. We'll get there. We'll get there for sure. Um, but yeah, to the point about Anthony Davis being the obvious positive, I do want to shine some light on him because in his last 10 games, Anthony Davis is averaging 29 points, 12 rebounds, four assists, 2.6 blocks on 57% from the field. He's knocked down 0.83s a game, shooting 44% from three. And overall, it feels like not just on the defensive end, but on the offensive end, Anthony Davis has been firing on all cylinders. It's not just him posting up. It's not just him putting the ball back on cleanups. He is taking guys off the dribble from the three-point line. He's handling the ball in transition, taking it all the way to the cup. He's hitting these turnaround fadeaway Kobe Jays and he is absolutely locked and loaded, and it just sucks that we are not getting wins during this stretch of Anthony Davis's play, you know, because he has been MVP caliber worthy. To put this into fantasy basketball perspective, Anthony Davis is a number five player in fantasy right now. I have him on my team because I know this. And sadly, that's that's the only world we can put Anthony Davis in right now in terms of glorifying his stats it's just fantasy land it's like anthony davis is the fifth best fantasy player on the team but he can't be the best nba player because the lakers record has not reflected and not synced up with his play but yes that has been a positive development in this recent stretch one of my runner-ups would be christian wood's play recently since being inserted back into the rotation wood has really flashed his offensive versatility from a passing shooting and putting the ball on the floor standpoint He's 6 of 11 from 3 in his last 4 games and is more importantly averaging almost 6 rebounds a game. And versus the Heat, he probably had his best overall showing in a little bit for the Lakers, putting up 13 points, 8 rebounds, 3 assists, 1 block. Why we ever went away from Christian Wood and why we ever went away from his utilization next to Anthony Davis is beyond me. And again, this is starting to get negative, but at least Christian Wood is back in the rotation and hopefully we can continue to utilize him correctly. So with that said, let's take it to break. When we return, we will get negative and talk about the problems that have plagued this team. So we will catch you guys after the turn. All right, so we are back. As Tommy mentioned about the poorest three-point shooting attempts, here are the actual stats. The Lakers on the season are 29th in the league in three-point attempts. They attempt 30.43s a game. The Detroit Pistons are last in the league, attempting 30.1. In terms of makes, the Lakers are 28th in the league in three-point makes, hitting 10.7 a game. The Lakers are actually still in the top 10 of defensive rating on the year. But offensively, they are 24th in offensive rating. So just interesting to look at that from a macro level. So Tommy, before I get into asking you, where do you think, where would you pinpoint all of our problems to, or what would you say is are the roots, one of the, some of the root causes to why this Lakers team has spiraled, I want to quickly go through a timeline of events of this season. And you can jump in whenever you want to and tell me if you perceive the same things along the way. You ready? Yeah. So preseason, I feel like preseason started off pretty well. Players looked very locked in, especially D'Angelo Russell. This looked like a very talented group of players with firepower. Um, Then they started doing that stupid thing where they sat players in every other game, and we never got a clear idea of what our set rotations looked like. But at least from the outset, the potential was there. Would you agree? Yes. Okay. Then 
the season began and injuries struck. Vanderbilt was out for like the first month. Gabe was out after like the third game. Prince and Rui were out a couple of games to start as well. And Darvin Ham had to patchwork quilt things together to make things work. It looked very uneven. Our skill guards were getting demolished next to Torian Prince in the starting lineup. And the Lakers started out three and five. So at that point, Darvin Ham decides to do something semi-drastic and separate the skill guards, which is actually what we had kind of been calling for before it got to that point. And Darvin Ham put Austin Reeves on the bench and started Cam Reddish. Sounded insane at the time, but it actually ended up helping the Lakers and helping Austin Reeves gain his confidence back off the bench. So the Lakers ended up rattling off a pretty good run of games, like winning eight out of their next 10. Austin got into a groove offensively off the bench. And so that seemed like a a pretty good move in lieu of not having Vando. Would you agree? Yeah. Okay. So then Vando returns eventually right before the IST run, and the Lakers ride his infusion of energy and win the IST championship and are at one point 14 and 9. By that point, they are top 7 in the league in defensive efficiency, and it seemed like the Lakers had finally put things together. Now, I had always thought that once Vando returned, we would set things back into place with regards to maybe Vando starts, we bring Austin Reeves back into the starting lineup, but we had been rolling, and so I guess it makes sense that Darvin Ham stuck to what was working. With Torian Prince, Cam Reddish, D'Angelo Russell in the starting lineup. But then the IST hangover happens. The Lakers lose to Dallas, they win versus San Antonio on the second night of a back-to-back without LeBron, even though they almost gave that game away by giving up 45 points in the fourth to the Spurs. Then they got cocky. I don't don't know if they got cocky. This is just my perception of things. Then they got cocky and sat AD the next game versus San Antonio. It wasn't a back-to-back. D'Angelo Russell also missed that game with a migraine, and LeBron and the Lakers get absolutely smacked by San Antonio that second night in San Antonio. After that, they lose to the Knicks, the Chicago Bulls, and the Minnesota Timberwolves with LeBron sitting out that last game. Amidst this entire stretch, I do want to caveat things by saying the players are very tired at this point. The amount of games on the road, the back-to-back pileups have all taken a toll. And so that is where the spiral started. After that Minnesota Timberwolves game, that is when we got into the all-world defenders switch-up, Tommy, where Darvin Ham, instead of making taking, instead of maybe taking into account those factors that I just laid out, that the Lakers were tired, they were hungover, D'Angelo Russell was struggling immensely, but it's only been six games, the Lakers are 1-5 in in their last stretch. Instead of taking those things with a bit of context, Darvin Ham, for some reason, goes galaxy brain apeshit on us. And he viewed this last stretch of being 1-6 after the IST as a crucial... Time to fix the season, come to Jesus moment. And, it's, and instead of making more conventional tweaks or just tweaks in general, Darvin Ham doubles down on the defensive end and puts in the vaunted Vanderbilt, Torian Prince, and Cam Reddish all defense, no offense lineup. And for the first night, it works against the Oklahoma City Thunder. But it works mainly because... One, the bench is amazing. D'Angelo Russell and Rui Hachimura and Austin Reeves go off from the bench, the offensive players. And then two, LeBron James returned to the lineup, and LeBron James and Anthony Davis were just stellar that game. But as we've seen since then, 
it has been an endless turnstile of rotating doors, rotating rotations, where all of a sudden, some of your core key pieces from last season, D'Angelo Russell, Austin Reeves, Rui Hachimura, have no idea what their place is on this roster anymore. Because even though D'Angelo Russell was benched, benching D'Angelo Russell is one thing. But then to only give D'Angelo Russell 17 minutes off the bench and actually treat him like a bench player, that's when things started to go... R.I. And, and we, we have not been able to regain our footing since. Does that see, is that an accurate timeline of where things stand? Yeah. Okay, so now I turn it to you. What, let's talk about the, the all-defender, all-world defenders lineup switch-up. And for me, I think this is the schism. This is the turning point, the pivot point of when we lost our season because this was such a galaxy brain move by Darvin Ham, and it didn't, need it, to, it didn't need to be this complicated but he made it so complicated. And I, I want to emphasize that it's not even necessarily about the players or the lineup that he put out there because I think at one point we talked about having an all-defenders lineup to close games or for certain situational moments like this lineup of Cam Reddish, Torian Prince, and Jared Vanderbilt. And we have seen some of their positives play out on the court. That's not my point. The fact that he would do this at this point of the season, Tommy, and reset everything and act like we're back to preseason mode is absolutely insane. And the trickle-down effect that it had on your most important core players, Torian, not Torian Prince, although yeah, to Darvin Ham, Torian Prince apparently is a core player from last year. But the, effect, the trickle-down effect that it had on D'Angelo Russell all of a sudden only playing 17 minutes, Austin Reeves still being on the bench and being like, didn't you bench me to separate me from D'Angelo Russell? But all of a sudden... Delo's back with me in this lineup no off the sense. bench. I mean, yeah, like, no, and then, like and then Rui Hachimura. Talked about that, by the way. Yeah. And then Rui Hachimura, like the entire season, has just gotten his minutes jostled back and forth. And then on top of this, Christian Wood is DNP'd for Jackson Hayes. But yes, your thoughts on this moment in time that really got us on a spiral? It just it, it felt like a series of overreactions. Um, again, to your point, the first. That first move of, like, I'm going to move between D'Lo and Austin. One has to go to the bench. I'm just going to move Austin to the bench. Like, I guess fine. Like, maybe, maybe like, you know, that can be an acceptable move. And, and like you said, something that we were maybe anticipating. Every move, essentially, since then has just made no sense. And I'm, like, and and we've been harping on these, these things um, all season. But, like... Cam Reddish had a stretch of five games. Okay, we've played almost 40 games this season. He had a stretch of five games or six games where he played very, very well. I mean, I'm not going to deny that. He was hitting like 40% from three or near it. He was, you know, uh, money from the corner three. He was playing defense. But Cam Reddish has always been kind of this head case guy, right? He got injured. He missed a few games. He hasn't been the same ever since he came back, notwithstanding the fact that we're giving him even more usage and looks than he, he had before, right? That's it right there, yeah. Um, but, like, he just hasn't looked the same. And and, and it, it's just crazy to me that, like, Ham is so happy and ready, it feels like, to drop guys like D'Lo, who were a key part of what we did last year, drop guys like Austin and Rui and Vando, you know, at times, wh- who are guys that we've committed to three, four-plus years to, 
But Cam Reddish, who's a minimum level signing, who when the season started out of our 14-man roster, we kind of had pegged as the, you know, if the two rookies are 13 and 14, we had Cam pegged as pretty much the 11th or 12th guy on this roster. And he is playing, starting and playing a ton of minutes for us. So it's just like nothing we're doing really makes sense. And and it's just gotten worse and worse and worse. And it feels like the solutions are, you know, usually worse than the problems they were trying to solve. Yeah. And it's just like when with all the permutations that we ran through with how this roster can function and what we saw with our own eyes on, you know, with the same core group who made the Western Conference finals like six months ago, you know, like seven months ago, like that team had enough and it just feels like this team has no idea what it's doing well on top of that we never went back to that lineup tommy we never went back to that lineup that worked right and if you remember at the start of this season we had done a predictions of what the starting lineup would look like do you remember what those two starting lineup iterations were one of them was just status quo keep lbj ad vando austin reeves and d'angelo russell in the starting lineup the second one was one you proposed, and both of us proposed, actually, which involved swapping Vando for Rui Hachimura, right? Those were our two predicted starting lineups. We haven't seen any of those lineups. Yeah. Honestly, we haven't even seen those groups play. Like Play, yeah, it, it, within a game. <laughs> it's wild to me that we are 40 games into a season. We had a complete full preseason of what? I, I can't remember if we played six or seven games, but we, had, we played several preseason games. We have not put a lineup out of our five best players. And all five of those guys play different positions. It just makes no sense. Like, you can say, like, well, Rui's not the guy. Again, people get, like, focused on, do we have enough for the closing? This is the same problem with the Russ thing, right? It's like, well, we don't have enough for a closing lineup. It's like, how about we, like, focus on having a lead going into the fourth quarter? How about we focus on not being yes. the worst team in the league in terms of losing first quarters? Literally, we are we have lost more, more first quarters this season than the, than the uh, Detroit Pistons. That's embarrassing, you know? And it's like, how how like, how about we focus on getting there before we worry about the championship? It's like, this is the problem that, that I have when it comes to these kind of debates is like, people are like, well, what? So if we put Rui in the starting lineup, we're still not going to beat the Celtics. It's like, what are you talking about? We're, we can't even beat the Spurs right now. <laughs> Can we focus on that first? Like, how about we focus on making ourselves like a playoff team in the West? Because right now we're not a playoff team. How about we, then we focus on making ourselves like a top four or five seed team? How about then we focus on how do we compete with like the upper echelon? We are like putting, we are like looking so far ahead and this team literally can't beat some of the worst teams in the NBA right now. Well, can you tell, well, this is the problem when Darvin Ham has cemented, you talked about Cam Reddish, but the way that Darvin Ham <clears throat> has cemented Torian Prince as a core member of this team as if we carried him over from last season is bonkers. And this is nothing to say about Torian Prince's play this season because he has, he has really turned it around. He's shooting 39%, all that good stuff. But to play Torian Prince a career high, career high, 30 minutes per game. Sometimes basketball is this simple, Tommy. Torian Prince is your third highest minutes per game player. How is that happening with D'Angelo Russell, Austin Reeves, and Rui Hachimura on the team? Now, you can say all these things. It's about fit. It's about how Torian Prince fits with all these different lineups. 
I remember through the first month and a half of this season, Tommy, Torian Prince was averaging like one rebound a game. And the problem, the reason why Austin Reeves was put to the bench was because Torian Prince couldn't rebound the damn ball. And yet he has withstood the test of time through every iteration of these rotations. It makes sense on paper, yes, because he can shoot and on paper he is like the prototypical 3 and D mold type of guard. But the politics and the way that Darvin Ham has somehow not relied, relied on the guys who got him here in the first place is infuriating and it just doesn't make sense, like you said. And <clears throat> what else doesn't make sense is leading up to the point where he made that switch, Tommy, we were still a top 10 defensive rated team in the league. Defense was not necessarily a problem. We have shown that with D'Angelo Russell in the starting lineup, we are a top seven defensive rated team. Yeah. Can I just make one comment on that first? Yeah, go ahead. Sorry to cut you off. But like on that specific point, our D'Angelo Russell, Austin Reeves, Vanda, LeBron, and AD lineup was starting lineup was led the number one defensive efficiency in the entire NBA post-trade deadline last year. We're talking about like a fairly substantial portion of games. It was like 20, 25 games, the last quarter of the season, basically. We were the number one defensive efficiency team, giving significant minutes to Austin, giving significant minutes to D'Angelo. I can't remember how much Rui was playing, but keep in mind, we had Lonnie Walker. He wasn't known as a defender. Dennis Schroeder is six foot tall and like was getting abused in the playoffs. Like these guys are like solid defenders, but not like it's not like we dropped all these elite defenders. And that's why we're, we've taken this huge dive defensively. No, yeah, I agree. And we are here this season. I don't know how Darvin Ham came to the conclusion that we would quadruple down on the defensive end when it's been clear that the offense has been stuck in the mud because we started off trying to implement this five-out system where for the first month and a half of the season, AD stopped taking jump shots entirely, you know, and the system did not fit our guards' style of play. We were not playing enough pick and roll. We were not even... It's crazy to me that we haven't created set plays at the three-point line for our guards like Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell to get wide open. To the extent that they get into a rhythm from three-point land, it's all coming in transition with them pulling up from three, you know? Anyways, I don't want to get into the nitty-gritty of all that stuff, but the point is we needed more offense, and Darvin Ham did the exact opposite of that. And again, I don't, I didn't really even really have a problem with D'Angelo Russell coming off the bench I just thought he would have inserted Austin Reeves. And then the larger issue here is you can put D'Angelo Russell off the bench, but I thought he would treat D'Angelo Russell like how he treated Austin Reeves when he benched Austin Reeves, where he'd at least get three shifts in a game, you know? But when he benched D'Angelo Russell, he 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 treated D'Angelo Russell like he was a bench player and only gave him 17 minutes a game. And the most ironic part about all this, Tommy, is D'Angelo Russell actually played well off the bench, and Darvin Ham still capped him at 17 minutes. And so, <clears throat> to close this episode really quickly, what would the, the answers sound very obvious, but I'm going to have you articulate them anyways. Where do we go from here in terms of what Darvin Ham should do? He said that he will leave no stone unturned or whatever. It's just hilarious that the very first stones that he unturned were like the most illogical ones and not the ones that got him here in the first place but to me it's simple and we've talked about this before 
There's something to be said about playing your best players. If you don't start them, that's fine. But play them the most minutes. Start your best players, play your best players. Go back to or try out for one game. AD, LBJ, Vando, AR, D'Lo lineup. Try out the one with Rui Hachimura. Maybe try incorporating more of those wood AD lineups. But the biggest thing for me is if you're going to bench one of Austin Reeves or D'Angelo Russell, you better find a way to still give those guys 25 plus minutes. I don't care how you feel about D'Angelo Russell, whether you feel like the Lakers will be better if they ship him out for a better fitting piece. I can agree with you on that. But as so far as D'Angelo Russell is still on this team, there is no iteration of this Lakers team that will reach its potential or even stem the tide that involves D'Angelo Russell getting less than that amount of time of 25 minutes, you know? D'Lo, by the LeBron metric, is literally the third most impactful player on the court on this team, and yet we're treating him like Russell Westbrook last year and unnecessarily stifling his minutes. D'Lo is a rhythm player, you know that, and what we've done is only suffocate his rhythm further. So what are your thoughts on what the Lakers should do moving forward? (laughs) Well, I mean, I think... It's hard to say. Okay, I'm not going to put it all on him. I'm not going to put it all on the roster. I'm not going to put it all on management. It's obviously, it's like these are complicated questions. I think, uh, to your point, a a nice start would be playing your best players the most minutes and seeing what happens. (gasps) You know, like, rather than, again, we signed Austin for three to four years. We signed Rui for three to three years. We signed Vando for an additional, you know, three to four years. Like, these are guys we've committed to. I'm not saying we are going to keep all of these guys for that entire contract length. But when your option is to play one of those guys, to develop internally, to develop guys that you intend to keep long-term versus playing guys you've signed as free agents for minimum and near-minimum contracts. I mean, Torian Prince we signed for the, uh, what do they call it now? BAE. The, the BAE, which is a million two million more than the vet men for like a veteran of his uh, seniority, right? Like it's, these are guys who, these are guys who couldn't, you know, get Cam Reddish is about to play the most minutes he's played in, in a season since his rookie year. I, we've said this a million times, but Torian Prince is averaging a career high minutes. It, it just makes no sense. Like you may think listening to this, well, yeah, but we Rui Hachimura has not developed as a defender. When was he supposed to develop? Guarding Phil Handy in the summer? Like, he did his work. He made him he got himself in great shape. By all accounts, he was working out hard. He was working out with LeBron. He was taking this really seriously. Is it his fault that he came out game one and wasn't like OG Ananobi on defense? Like it, it takes like he's gotta get reps. And we have yeah. wasted so much time with that. Yes. Austin. Austin needed reps. Austin needed reps defensively against NBA-level starters. We took that away from him. D'Angelo came out super, super strong. And he's our third best player. He's a borderline all-star. You said we're giving him the Russ treatment. We're treating this guy worse than Russ, actually. Okay? We (laughs) are. Because Russ off the bench averaged like 28 minutes a game still. Yes, and was getting crazy usage despite his completely atrocious numbers. So, like... And by the way, he was playing worse defense than D'Angelo Russell has been playing. Yes. So, you know, so it's like, what are we doing? We, we know that Vando, okay, my, you know, you're listening to this telling me, like, Vando is not Buddy Heald shooting threes. What are you talking about? You know, I understand that, okay? But these guys are in their 20s. Vando, mid-20s. Austin, mid-20s. Rui, like, 
all of them, you know, these guys are still developing players. We saw Vando kind of changed his shot a little bit, right? We, we saw that he was putting in the work on the corner threes. We know that he knows what he needed to do all summer. And by all accounts, again, we weren't there, but by all accounts, he worked on those things. We haven't given him a chance. Again, he's missed the corner threes, but it's like his opportunities are coming so inconsistently. Like, we are using him as, like, the extreme degree of situational player in the in the same way that we're using Cam Reddish. Um, or the same way, excuse me, that we should be using Cam Reddish. Like, Cam Reddish gets all the benefit of the doubt to go stand out there for 28, 30 minutes in the corner, wide open. Nobody has to defend him. Nobody ha- He's not a threat around the rim. He doesn't set screens. He doesn't, like, play the dunker spot or whatever, you know? And and we're going to play him over Jared Vanderbilt. Like, all things being equal, these guys are equally bad offensively. We can all agree that with that, right? We can also agree that they're roughly probably same impact when you consider rebounding, whatever, defensively. So why are we playing the guy who's going to be gone in five months and is not going to be on our team next season over the guy who we've invested in long-term and are supposed to be developing. This dude is not 35 years old. He's a young player who we should be developing. And we are, the process is just so screwed up at every level. Well, on top of that, I think Max Christie is probably a better proxy for, you know, Cam Reddish right now. And Max Christie has proven if you give him enough time to work out the kinks, will he still have those rookie mistakes and bad turnovers? Yes, but right now he's playing better offensively and defensively than Cam Reddish. And to your point about long-term investments, while we don't have him locked up on a long-term deal, we do have his bird rights and we do want to know as soon as this offseason, do we want to retain him? What do we have in this player? And the process has been so stunted that all I have are question marks still. And I'm like, I don't know, do we re-sign Cam Reddish over Max Christie at this point? Are we just going to throw Max Christie in as a into any trade as a throw-in sweeter? And so, <clears throat> yeah, we came out of this. I asked you, what should we do? And we've come out of it with more questions. But I feel like that's sort of the state of the Lakers currently. Um, the simplest answer is play your best players, please. Don't make this any more complicated than it needs to be. Don't galaxy brain your way into trying to become some sort of mad genius coach. Lessen Prince's minutes, lessen Reddish's minutes. Play Max Christie next to the skill guards more because one thing that Max Christie has done well next to Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell, way better than Torian Prince actually, is rebound the goddamn ball. He's physical, you know? Um... And so I'll I'll leave it right there. We'll talk about Ham in a separate a segment or episode. But would you be surprised, Tommy, if I asked you right now? We'll close this episode this way. Who are the six sources, do you think, from the Lakers locker room that may have expressed their feelings about Darvin Ham and shifting roles? I would say D'Angelo Russell is probably one of them. Um, Austin Reeves is probably one of them. We've heard about some beef between him and Ham. Beef and Ham. No pun intended. Um... Maybe Max Christie. Who else would you say is part of that group? I would. I my guess would be Rui, even though he's been yeah. playing through injuries. Again, like we, this guy signed a significant free agent contract. We we're paying this guy more than we're paying D'Angelo Russell. <laughs> okay, like people forget that it's like, and we're paying him that for a reason. He was amazing in the playoffs. 
Are we saying, again, are we saying this dude is Dylan Brooks defensively? No, but he was playing super well. Everybody remembers those crazy acrobatic, like, explosive, like, Rui exploding off the floor and just swatting away, like, warrior attempts at the rim and, like, you know, the way that he was playing with his assertiveness getting to the rim. I think the facial injury thing kind of screwed with him this year because of the mask. Yeah. Um, notwithstanding that, by the way, I think he played about as well as I've seen anyone, any, like, random role player play with him. I mean, he's not Kyrie Irving, but he played really well with that mask, you know? So, it, it I, I think he could be a guy. Um, Christian I, Wood. I, there's, there's so <laughs> many. I mean, Christian Wood, yeah, yeah. Um, even Hayes. I mean, it would be unwarranted, but I could see Hayes. Like, <laughs> Colin, Colin Castleton, he's like, yeah, exactly. God damn, give me a shot, man. This team sucks. Du <laughs> Bois yeah. Hodge is just like sitting there seething. <laughs> oh, man, so funny. All right, well, that'll do it for this episode. I think, I, I don't want to be harsh, but anyways, yeah, that, that'll do it for this episode. Uh, sorry, it was kind of all over the place, but this was more of our bitchy, moany, venting, what the hell is going on sort of episode that I feel like, fans need at this time of the year as we enter a very, very important stretch, Tommy, for this Lakers team with all of these reports circling around Darvin Ham's head and <clears throat> the locker room being as delicate as it is currently. The Lakers just need a win, plain and simple. They're going to be at home for much of January and they got to figure this shit out or some players will pay the price and maybe a coach. We'll see. Anyways, that'll do it for this episode. Tommy, I will catch you later. Peace. Happy New Year. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.